If you would like to take your Bibles and follow along as I read from Mark's Gospel, please do so. The words will be on the large screens as well. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. Hear God's Word. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for Him. And so, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to Him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts with wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as, Christ, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. O Lord, open my lips and let my mouth declare your praise. Amen. One of the most wonderful things about living in Richmond, Virginia, is Christmas time. Over the years, our family has experienced a multitude of the sights and sounds of Christmas in the region. We've gone to the Grand Illumination in Williamsburg, Richmond's Grand Illumination, although this year they've changed the venue, so check your calendar. Also, the Festival of a Million Lights at Lewis Ginter Botanical Gardens, Christmas Town at Bush Gardens, and Victorian Christmas at Maymont. Every year, our family has a tradition of going down to the James Center and finding Rudolph among all of the lighted reindeer. And then we eat dinner at Bottoms Up Pizza and then go back by the Jefferson Hotel on our way home to see the grand ballroom and that magnificent tree and all the beautiful poinsettias and all of the festive partygoers that are there. From time to time, we will mix in some house tours. There's one in the fan district we like, 
and another up on Church Hill. Some of you may have done those as well. But there's no comparing in Richmond to the Tacky Light Tour. It is so well known that it will be on national television. I think it's ABC this year again. And one of the region's most popular events is the Tacky Light 6K Run right here in our own Midlothian through the Walton Park neighborhood. How many of you live in Walton Park? And we'll have your lights on, Philip, right? There you go, Ned, and several of you. How many of you will go through and see the lights? Raise your hands. Lots of you will do a tacky light tour. You will see everything there from the traditional Williamsburg-y kind of Richmond-y kind of Christmas decorations to those akin to none other than Clark Griswold. One of the interesting things about visiting these houses, whether it's the Fan or Church Hill or in Midlothian and Walton Park, is to see how families decorate. Like at our house, we just do traditional white Christmas lights out on the trees and things in the front yard, and there's a wreath and all of that, but some go all out. But it's neat how to, how to, to watch how families decorate and how their styles mesh with their personalities. And uh, you also will see things that they value or cherish. And if you're looking around, you'll also see that there are increasing numbers of people who may not have any decorations up at all. Now, they may have a different faith and do not experience Christmas. Maybe some of your neighbors are of a different faith, and that's one reason why people may not have decorations up. But there are also people who are minimalists, who are trying to pull back from all of the consumerism and say, we're not going to participate in any of that. We are going to be minimalist at Christmas. And, and then there are some who are just celebration minimalists, who are trying to keep the joy of the season, but they try to simplify, scale back, and resist the temptation to overspend, overeat, and overschedule. Maybe some of you are in this category in your decorating. And you'll be surprised that there is a biblical account or a biblical story of the incarnation of Jesus Christ just for you. A more simple gospel story. During our Advent worship this year, we're going on a house tour, a house tour where we will experience the light in different ways. This concept did not originate with me. I read about it in a series of studies, and it was accredited to Dr. Tom Long, a renowned preaching professor, who compares the church's lectionary to homes that the church would go and visit. Matthew's house, Mark's house, Luke's house, and John's house. The Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now for those of you who worship here regularly, you'll know that we follow the lectionary, which is a three-year cycle of Sunday Scripture readings used for teaching and preaching. We begin with Advent, and we go through the Epiphany, the Lenten season, the Easter season, Pentecost, and then the ordinary time of summer in the fall, which leads us back to Advent. The first year, the readings take us through Matthew. Then we move through Mark, 
then Luke, and sprinkled throughout the three-year period are texts from the Gospel of John. Each Sunday of the year has an Old Testament lesson, a psalm, and an epistle lesson from the New Testament. And if you follow the lectionary regularly over a period of three or four years, you'll go through most all of the Bible. As we embark on our Christmas light tour here at Advent season at HRBC, we will see how each gospel writer illuminates the stories of Jesus, the light of the world. Next week, we'll stop by Matthew's house, and there'll be a family reunion. You'll read about grandparents and aunts and uncles we've never heard of and waiting on travelers afar. We'll barely fit in Matthew's house because of the crowd, but it'll be fun like a good old family reunion. Then we'll visit Luke's house with luminaries and angels and birth announcements and the most unusual place for the one who was to be born king of the Jews, a manger. Finally, we'll travel through the dark to see the lights at John's house. No tree will be lit up, but I imagine there would be a Moravian star hanging on the front porch with its lights shining in all kinds of directions. John, like a theology professor, would discuss with us the multi-layered meaning of the things in his gospel. But here we are at Mark's house today. We're beginning with Mark because most scholars agree that it was the first recorded gospel, the first one put in writing. You might think it's strange for us to be here today. There are no decorations, no wreath on the door, no presents under the tree. And like a minimalist, Mark wouldn't have any lights on his house. Mark does not say one word about Christmas. His gospel starts, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And then Mark goes straight to a grown-up Jesus in the desert about to be baptized by John the Baptist. Have you ever wondered why Mark skips over the birth narratives altogether? He would have known about them. And bypasses Bethlehem and takes us immediately to the wilderness of the Jordan where Jesus would be baptized? Perhaps the key is the first word in verse 1, beginning. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah. Mark's gospel is a simple beginning of the good news. Not only is it the first gospel written, the first book of good news, but it is also the beginning of the good news of Jesus, of His death, resurrection, and return as he lives today. The entire gospel begins with John the Baptist. He was a herald, a prophet. He was one who would announce, just as a herald would announce, the coming of a king in the ancient world. The good news begins with the messenger. And the messenger is, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Out in the wilderness at the edge of civilization, John is calling out for people to repent, to change their hearts and lives. Baptism was and is the sign of people's desire to be ready for the new thing God was doing. Washed in the water of the Jordan River, the people were prepared to start their lives with God anew, to have a new beginning. Among those who came forward was Jesus of Nazareth. 
when he came up out of the water, Mark says that the, the heavens were torn open and that the Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. And he heard a voice saying to him, You are my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Then the same Spirit drove Jesus deeper into the wilderness, and we see that He is tempted for 40 days and 40 nights by Satan himself. When He returned to Galilee, He began to say, The kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus called a few followers, a simple band of ordinary people, and began a ministry of teaching and healing. And by the end of chapter 1, Jesus is surrounded by people who are eager to hear His message. They are eager for healing. For Mark, Jesus' acts of healing aren't just miracles, they are deeds of power. They point to the end of His Gospel and the proclamation that God is more powerful than suffering and death. As the writer of the first Gospel, Mark is a main source for both Matthew and Luke. One scholar says that there are only 24 verses in Mark that are not in either of Matthew or Luke. Mark, we believe, as Scripture teaches, was also a companion of the Apostle Paul. And later, in his older years, sat at the feet of Peter, hearing Peter dictate the stories of his experience with Jesus Christ. So Mark records all of this, and we have it in his Gospel. Dr. Cecil Sherman, one of my seminary professors, writes, Mark, was com Mark has compressed the life of Jesus. It is action-packed, fast-moving. The word he so often uses is immediately. It appears 40 times in 16 chapters. Dr. Sherman says we have the essential, no-frills added Jesus in Mark. And if you skip to the end of the Gospel, he leaves us dangling with an open-ended conclusion. Perhaps this is why in some of your Bibles you'll see a note that says that the ending of chapter 16, verses 9 and following do not appear in most early manuscripts. That he stopped and left it, what we would say, unfinished, and then others came along and added the endings. Perhaps, though, Mark left us, leaves us dangling at the end of the Gospel because he wants us to go back and reread the whole story in light of Jesus' resurrection. You see, we cannot understand any aspect of Jesus' life apart from reading it through Easter lenses. According to Mark, the strongest evidence that Jesus is the Son of God is not His miraculous birth. He didn't talk about the birth the other, uh, Luke and, and Matthew certainly did. But rather, from his life and ministry in which he healed the sick, forgave sinners, welcomed outcasts and little children, proclaimed the kingdom of, the, of God, and how all of that flips our usual ways of being in this world of privilege and power. The key to understanding who Jesus is, according to Mark, is to illumine his whole life with resurrection light. Hence the house tour at Mark's. Mark's house, the absence of holiday adornment and decoration is ultimately reminiscent of the empty tomb. 
There would be nothing to celebrate during Advent and Christmas if it were not for an empty tomb, if it were not for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A couple of key thoughts for us. One, holiday cheer, shopping, nostalgia, although they're good things, do not help us with the troubles we face. But the risen Lord does. And the risen Lord is our purpose for Christmas. Number two, Mark reminds us that hope is to be found in the manger only because it is first found on the cross. The hope that Mark offers is not found in spite of suffering. It is hope that has been through suffering and has emerged on the other side. From the very beginning of this fast-paced Gospel, we know that Jesus is headed towards His death on the cross. He explained it to His disciples. They didn't understand it. Many of us don't understand it today. But His purpose, Mark's purpose, is to explain that Jesus' life is to be understood in light of His death and resurrection. At our house, we usually put up our Christmas decorations around Thanksgiving time or the first week of December, depending on the calendar and when we're traveling and so forth. This year, we got them up before Thanksgiving. And we came back from our trip to South Carolina and were able to turn the lights on. And that's a lot of fun. But one of the things I, I don't like is when we come back from our family trip to South Carolina over Christmas. You know, we're here with y'all at Christmas Eve and then we have a quiet Christmas day together. And then we leave the day after Christmas to drive to South Carolina and see all our family, three different cities. But when we get back, you have to take down Christmas and put it all away. And that's just no fun. But how often is it that we think that Christmas is something that we have to set up and put away? How often do we think of Christmas as something with a beginning and an ending? We celebrate the holidays, many of us, and then we go back to business as usual not much has changed except my waistline because I had to eat a, pa a piece of 13-layer of chocolate cake and uh, coconut cake and pumpkin pie and pecan pie from the Cracker Barrel. But otherwise, have I really changed much? The Gospel of Jesus Christ is not something that we start and put away. It is not business as usual. The good news is about transformation. Jesus told us that the kingdom of God is at hand. That He came to change our lives, your life and my life. He came to change us forever. He came to bring us hope from despair, peace for our anxiety, and a love that allows us to stare down death and not be afraid. Perhaps this visit to Mark's house is a reminder for us to see the Gospel light in a fresh and new way this Advent and Christmas season. What are your worries? What are your anxieties? 
today? What are your hopes today? What are some spiritual practices that you and I might experience over these next weeks that will strengthen our faith? I believe one of those spiritual practices is doing what you're doing right now, and that's worshiping with God's people here at Huguenot Road Baptist Church. And another way that we can employ one of our spiritual practices is to gather around the Lord's table together. Reminded of that night that Jesus met with His disciples and took bread and gave thanks and broke it and said, this is My body which is given for you. Take and eat as often as you meet together and do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way, Jesus took the cup of wine and blessed it and poured it out saying, this is My blood which is shed for you for the remission of your sins and the sins of many. Take and drink as often as you meet and do this in remembrance of Me. For as often as you take of this bread and eat it and drink of this cup, you proclaim the death of the Son of Man until He comes. Let's bow. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, we thank You for calling us to be Your followers. We thank You for this space. We thank You for the people seated around us, front, back, right, and left. And we thank You for Your never-ending love and Your eternal presence carrying us as a shepherd carries its sheep. Lord, as we come to Your table, may we remember the words of Jesus who called us to repentance, who has called us to confess our sins known and unknown, and who has announced that when we repent and confess of our sins, that we will be forgiven. We thank You. In these few moments, Lord, we come to You with our sins. And we beg You for forgiveness. And we acknowledge the truth that when we confess our sins, You are faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We pray Your hand of blessing on each one, those who serve, and we pray your blessing on these sacred elements around this table. In Jesus' name, amen.